0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, uh, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka in his weekly spot. Danny, good morning. How are we today?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I am fine. Uh, Windswept rain with a wind chill of 41 as we sit down to record. This feels like football weather, so probably a good time to talk the draft. Um,
1: will not quite spring yet, so... yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's technically spring, but it's not feeling like it. That's for sure. Um, This was a weird draft. A, I wasn't around for it. So I've been living vicariously through others, uh, their writing and their opinions, um, because I was not here for it. B, we didn't have a lot of star players. We had a lot of quality guys and quality... Uh, players that that we'll be hearing about for years and years to come in terms of their roles, but it's not the overarching oh my god guys that uh, last year's draft for example happened with all those quarterbacks. So as you sit here right now, what are your biggest takeaways from the draft?
1: Yeah, I agree with you that it wasn't a star-studded draft. We weren't seeing um you know, top tier name brand guys that everybody's familiar with going into top fifteen. No quarterback in the top fifteen, you know, doesn't help either. I think it's the first time since two thousand three. Um that, that only one quarterback was selected in the first round and I think if you have to go back to the E J manual trade. I mean E J manual draft. Um, for the last time a quarterback was selected so low for the first time in the draft. I think we saw two things here. I saw, you know, one that people were not as open to trading future picks. So people weren't going to overextend themselves to get into a situation where they have to reach on a player and give up capital for next year and so forth and so on. I think it's been consensus and been talked about that the draft next year is going to provide more depth, more quality, and obviously you have the top-tier quarterbacks on it. Uh, and then another thing you saw was a lot of, I, I think, teams that traded on the second and third day to try to get volume. I think that was one strategy that a lot of teams took. You know, some teams had upwards of 10 to 11 picks this year uh, in this draft, just trying to find a way to quickly restack their rosters with cheap Players, um, you know, on short-term contracts, and just try to, you know, get that volume, and they're hoping that with that volume that you get a, a higher percentage of sticks. So, uh, nothing too major to me st- uh, stuck out. You know, there were some reaches, as there are every single year, some some head scratchers. Um, but you know, you, you know these teams, I think, were were really hoping to try to get that as much quality as they could out of this year and hope that they could have that ability next year to maneuver around in the draft, which I think is what a lot of teams are looking forward to.
0: We also have uh, had some major trades go down um, of current players, um, including a very upset Lamar Jackson going WTF after losing one of his wideouts. So you can start with A.J. uh green or or you can go wherever you want, but the trading of current players, um, which I, I guess could be seen as an indictment on who is available, but also could be seen as, as you said, teams trying to get their rosters right and realizing we can't sign these people, so let's just flip them. Yeah,
1: I think we're seeing two things here. One is that the wide receiver position in the last couple of years has become sort of a, a roster, you know, Sunk cost. If you take, if you want, you know, if you want to look at it that way, that you have to pay premiums for top tier players that maybe you weren't paying five, six, seven, eight years ago. But on the flip side of that is that you are seeing that each year, the depth at wide receiver in the draft keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more quality players keep showing up. And, and you look at some of these players that are, are being traded at the wide receiver position. You look at Tyreek Hill, drafted in what, the third or fourth round? Yeah, he had some character issues, but that, that impacts your, your stock. So he was traded this year. Um, you saw AJ Brown go. He was a second-year wide receiver, a second-round uh, drafted wide receiver. You saw uh, Marquise Brown get traded. He was also a second-round uh, wide receiver. So th- these receivers are becoming more and more expendable in a case because the classes behind them are deeper and deeper and deeper. And it seems it might be taking a strategy very similar to what you see, like with a running back. We'll just draft a number of wide receivers. We know that they're deep. Uh, It's a deep class. Let somebody else have the headache of dealing with a $100 million contract that sinks their salary cap and restricts their movement and flexibility. Not to say that these players don't deserve it, and they don't, you know, A.J. Brown's a phenomenal wide receiver, but... It's got to be a head scratch that the current team that he plays on doesn't want to give him that that money. Uh, and then you go into a new system, new quarterback, you know, his production, his ability to, to produce is going to take a hit to begin with. It's just going to be a new environment for him. So, you know, I think we're going to see more of this of this type of thing happen as we continue to move forward where wide receivers are going to be, you know, traded on, on their rookie contracts towards the end while they're looking for extensions, knowing that, Hey, in the in the draft, if we can get a quality wide receiver in the second or third round, develop them and then do the same thing over and over again because the college game isn't changing. You know, more and more wide receivers are gonna keep coming out and more and more of them are gonna be skilled enough to, to possibly replace some of their predecessors, you know, when they leave the team.
0: Daniel Flecko with us here on teeing it up. When when you look at Devontae Adams, um and, and so many guys in this, you know, you, you mentioned Tyreek Hill. I, I think Devontae Adams is an interesting case where he really, 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 really wanted to get back to play with Derek Carr after the Packers wouldn't give him uh, the money that he wanted. And what I've always said, and you've heard me say this, is that friendships are nice, but championships are what you're looking for. I wonder if we're going to have a new wave of similar to the uh, uh, um, um, NBA, guys that are just upset, guys that don't like the way things are going. Because you look at some of these trades and you're going to go from guys who wanted money to suddenly guys disgruntled as to where they're playing. I would argue that the latter is a bigger problem to the team that they're currently on than the former. Um it's going to be a really interesting environment and i think Devontae adams may uh may want to uh wish that he signed for lower money with green bay because i'm not sure he's going to really like it in in uh, vegas
1: yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing to, to get your head around because on uh, one side of the thing you know a situation at times could be more valuable than perhaps the money that you get someplace else but on the other end, you know, these guys have a shelf life. So there's only a certain amount of time that they're able to make money and they want to capitalize on it. And, you know, One thing I've noticed that, you know, these things have been happening re- recently is that if a, if a receiver or player in general doesn't accept the first offer their team makes them, there's low likelihood that they're going to extend with that team. You know, we saw it with Tyreek Hill when those rumors leaked out that he you know wasn't going to accept. What the Chiefs are willing to offer, so he gets traded. We heard it with Devonte Adams, same thing. Uh, AJ Brown it leaked out as well. After that, you know he, they were willing to offer him 80 million dollars or whatever it was, and he wasn't happy with that. You know, and then we are currently in that saga with Debo Samuel. Same thing. Whether or not he gets traded is yet to be determined. And I, I assume that you know since he was not traded on draft day, he's probably not going to be traded. Um, at least this this year. Maybe maybe next year they'll, they'll franchise tag him and trade him for a first-round pick, but I, I think if these players aren't signing after that first or second potential offer that they're getting, they're going to be disgruntled. They're going to be looking for something else, and it just shows the power right now that's with the players, but again, on the other side, the teams are going to say, well, You know, we're not going to hamstring ourselves at the cap. We're not going to overpay in the market, and we'll just wait for the draft next year and get a a player that can possibly replace you that's a little bit cheaper to control, you know, from a uh, financial standpoint. And then you just kind of play that cycle over and over again. You know, we saw it. Recently with running backs, you know, that they, they were in a similar spot when they would hit the open market or, uh, you know, looking for contract extensions. I think it's uh, the wide receiver position's turn now to kind of take that over, and we're going to start to see, I think, a little bit more of this stuff as it comes along.
0: Um, all right, let's, let's, let's dive into some things here. Um, you look at Sauce Gardner for the Jets. The Jets needed help in the defensive back area um and sure looks like they got um the guy that they wanted that can potentially fill that role back there
1: yeah that was a great pick by the jets um you know he was i think the number one corner on their board i know stingley went above him I don't think Singletary was ever in play for the Jets at that spot. I thought the Jets were going to go with offensive line help or or soft Gardner, and they they chose to really focus on you know the cornerback position for them. You know they, they're going to be facing the Bills twice a year, and now they're going to be facing Tyreek Hill twice a year. So they definitely needed to improve on that back end, and they did so with that. Uh, you just got to hope now that there's balance on that roster they continue to move forward. But this was one of um, the stronger drafts, I thought, for the Jets as a whole, especially in that first round. They were aggressive. They went after the positions they thought that they needed help in, and you know, from there, now it's up to the coaching of the Jets to, to really bring those players up to speed. They have a lot of investment in, in the first round all over their roster. You look at their, their offensive line, they have two first-rounders uh, on the offensive line. You have a uh, top five. QB, and now you have a, a top um, ten wide receiver on that roster as well. So you got to be able to develop these players now.
0: Um, when you look at what the Jets were able to do um, with the other first round picks, and you start with Brees Hall as a running back um, in a position where they have about eighty people, including one of the two Michael Gar- uh, uh, Michael Carter's. That obviously works. Um, And then number two, I really think that we have seen um, the Jets underutilize in the past the effectiveness of tight ends. And I think that the the tight ends they acquired uh, in in free agency, including C.J. Uzama and, and Tyler Conklin, plus what they got in the draft, Plus, what they got in guys that can change positions, I, I really think that the Jets upgraded themselves in terms of uh, uh, guys that can make a difference at, at that uh, position. And then you add in Garrett Wilson um, in the, as 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 a slot wide receiver, and we're seeing so many tight ends. You know, look at Travis Kelsey playing wide receiver like roles. Um, I, I I really think the Jets gave Zach Wilson some playmakers.
1: Yeah, I mean, all you need to do is look at who their their offensive play caller is, and he's a on the floor, and he comes from that Shanahan tree where they want to use multiple backs, multiple tight ends. So they're usually in two wide receiver sets, um, and they want a quarterback that's not going to make mistakes. I, I think that's the big piece, right? Zach Wilson needs to play within the system. We talked about it last year with him. He, he at times, will not take what's there to him. And that's going to be the biggest piece for him moving forward is you can have all these weapons, you can have the best protection in the world, but if you're forcing throws, if you're only looking to throw, you know, 60-yard bombs every single play, your offense is not going to be successful. And I think what the Jets are trying to do is just develop a system that provides more opportunity. Zach Wilson to maybe not shoulder the entire burden every single play. You know, a dynamic running backs, you know, Brees Hall and Michael Carter, how that backfield shakes out is going to be interesting. They look at the wide receiver position for them. They still have, you know, Barrios they re-signed, uh, Corey Davis, and now you add in Garrett Wilson, who's, you know, more than just a slot receiver. He can play outside. The tight end position, you know, still leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. You know, Uzama and Conklin aren't going to be those, you know, field stretchers for you, but they should be provide some good underneath production, you know, for the Jets on that side, on that, um, you know, on those types of plays. You know, the offensive line is still a question. You know, what's going on with Makai Beckton? You know, is he going to be able to stay healthy for you guys? Is he going to be able to give you 16, 17 games? You know, what's going on there. There were some rumblings that maybe he'd be traded uh, after only two years, but they're just trying to build a very similar type of system that we've seen in the past You know, in Denver under Shanahan that we're seeing in San Francisco right now. Just multiple options that allow Zach Wilson to really control the game and manage the game in a sense where he doesn't have to always
0: take that big shot downfield. Danny Fleck, with us here on, on teeing it up, uh, let's let's flip to your Giants. How would you evaluate their draft?
1: I thought day one was great for them. Um, they got the two top players. I thought they were on their board. You know, Thibodeau was a, a smokescreen for a while. They didn't know if he would, you know, go to the Giants or or last, you know, until like the tenth or twelfth pick. You know, when you were reading some of the reports on him but really happy that they were able to get him. And once they got him, you know, and the three offensive linemen were on the board, I think they were comfortable knowing that they'll be the most, uh, you know, polished of the three. Uh, you can definitely slide in a right tackle for them. Um, you know, he does have the highest ceiling, I think, of the three, but he does have some other other things he needs to work on. But, you bookend in that offensive line now for the, you know, for the next five, six, you know, eight years, depending on, you know, their, their progression, you find yourself in a good spot, you know, if you're the New York Giants. And, you know, obviously I think Thibodeau will help increase that the pass rush and the defensive side of the things. Uh, you know, day two and three were a little bit questionable. I, I don't think they needed to draft a wide receiver in round two. Especially one like Wendell Robinson, I, I understand, you know, what he brings to the table. It just seems a bit redundant for what they have going on. Um, and then, you know, I thought that there were some reaches in, in rounds three, four, and five when they had multiple picks to use them on. Um, you know, it would have been nice to probably see them, you know, address the cornerback position or the safety position, since that seems to be an area that's a bit of an issue right now. Um, but you know. I, I know that the Giants are looking at this as a multi-year rebuild. The, the important thing this year for them is to, yeah, you know, solidify the offensive line and then see what Daniel Jones can do. Because even if Daniel Jones isn't there next year, they have to have an offensive line in place for whomever's is going to be, you know, taking over for him. Whether it's a rookie or a veteran, whatever it is, they need that offensive line to be better in general. So. I think they've done that. They, they made some smart moves in free agency. That they, they, you know, definitely invested a lot in the draft uh, on that offensive line. And now it's about implementing their system and seeing what happens, you know, come the fall with the players they have in place.
0: Danny Flicker with us here on Teeing It Up. Any other parting draft thoughts from you?
1: Yeah. You know, Not really. I mean, you know, I I think the Ravens killed it, you know, as I think they do most years. that They are just a good organization. They know how to identify talent, and and they are smart with their picks. You know, the Eagles are going to come away as darlings of the draft as well. Uh, How that all plays out for them, we'll see. Uh, I think A.J. Brown, you know, you look at him as a draft pick. Um, You know, they're able to get A.J. Brown, but there's a significant investment there. Is Jalen Hurts the guy that's going to bring him to the next level, as he has A.J. Brown? We'll see. Uh, you know, with, like, any of these picks, you, know, you really don't know until they play. So, you know, I'm excited to see what happens. We're only a couple months away from training camp. And then, you know, from there, the other season gets started. So that's when we'll really understand, you know, what these players are going to bring to the table.
0: Indeed. Uh, speaking of uh, players bringing to the table, uh, we know what's going to happen with bringing players on Real Madrid and Liverpool um to the pitch uh, come a couple weeks from now at the Champions League final, but you were explaining something very interesting to me as, as we flip to soccer, which is Liverpool's got a really unique opportunity here, but a gauntlet to get there while uh, 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 Real Madrid has a much easier path. So explain to the folks out there what you were uh, telling me yesterday. Yeah, so
1: right now Liverpool is in place to go for a quadruple so that would mean in the English leagues you know they have two domestic cups, they're um, you know the EPL championship and now the Champions League. Uh, So Liverpool won the first domestic cup back in February, they have the final against Chelsea on the 17th for the second domestic cup they're one point behind Manchester City as of today for the EPL championship and then they have you know, the other Champions League final on, you know, Memorial Day weekend. It's a very, very unique opportunity for them. Um, but you know, compared to some other teams that might be in their position, like a Real Madrid, is that they have to play six games as of today uh, until the end of the of, end of the season. So, and you sprinkle in that the final for the domestic league cup is in the middle of that. But so there's a lot of, of hurdles still for Liverpool left. You know, it really comes down to what's, what's a priority for them. Are they going to chase Man City for the EPL uh, league title? You know, they also need Man City to stumble and fall in the next couple of weeks in order for that to happen. Or do they understand that you know what? We have two more trophies in our sights here. Definitive that we can control, and we can go after those. So they have a game, I think, every three or four days from now until uh, the Champions League final. So their roster management's gonna be very interesting to see how they manage that. You know, what players are going to be in for certain games, which games they, you know, are more important for their success and their long-term goals. So you know, it's something that we've seen in soccer before, but. Unlike other um, European leagues, the English League has two domestic cups while a lot of the others only have three. So you often hear you know, a team going for the treble, that would mean um, they would be winning their league title, the Champions League final, and a domestic cup final you know, within their, their country. England's a little bit different. So it'd be pretty unique if Liverpool was able to cap it off. But if I'm a Liverpool fan... Understanding what's in front of me, you know, I want that Champions League final. I want that trophy above all else.
0: If Liverpool did not have a gauntlet to get through, and you're just looking on paper at Real Madrid versus Liverpool, who's the better team?
1: This is hard because Liverpool has been playing lights out the last couple of months. Like they've been on an absolute tear, but Real Madrid this comeback soft this year In their last two legs of the champions league they were behind in most of those games and they were able to somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat and advance. you know they had to take down PSG, uh which was a tough matchup for them and they were able to do so and then you look at this this last leg here they they were down at man city Stayed and clawed back in that game at Man City to make it somewhat doable for them to come back at home. They were able to then get a miracle upon miracles on Wednesday, scoring two goals in the last three minutes, and then winning in extra time. You know they have a very a very good coach in Carlo Ancelotti who goes how to play in Champions Leagues. This is, I think it's fifth final he's been to, um, and this team, at Real Madrid, even though it's minus Ronaldo, has a lot of pieces there that experienced that success while he was there. So they understand the stage they're going to be on. Um, they've had a good year. They've been able to fight back uh, and really been somewhat of a surprise, I think, from from uh, results perspective on what they've been able to do. So it's a tough, it's a tough, you know game to analyze you know it's, a, it's not a, a you know, two-legged competition it's a you know a final it's one game those games tend to be a little bit more cautious and you know a team that's more aggressive is probably going to be better off and that's I think going to be Liverpool um, but again how are they going to meters their roster in the next couple of weeks which games do they find to be more important for them you know if I had to lean right now I, I would be leaning Liverpool.
0: Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. Is there anything either in the NBA playoffs or the NHL playoffs you would like to touch on?
1: Yeah, I mean, the NBA playoffs are interesting. Uh, You know, we saw Embiid come back yesterday. Did not know he was playing. Um, I wish I would have known that before I I took the heat. (laughs) I bet. That would have been nice. Uh, I think I placed it a little bit too early in the day. Uh, But, you know, we see all the series are pretty much, you know, within... You know, striking distance for either team. Uh, you know, come Sunday afternoon, we might get a better idea of you know where the Heat and the um, and the Suns will be looking. But I, I don't know. I watched the Suns game yesterday, and I came away not impressed. I know they they had a tough first round series. They they blitzed Dallas at home. I don't know. I, I know a lot of people think. Phoenix is really good. I yeah. do not necessarily see it, but I still think the Warriors are coming out of the West, and I think whoever wins the Bucks-Celtics series is coming out of the East. I think those those teams are going to have a dogfight series, uh, especially today. You know, going back to Milwaukee, we'll see. You know what the Celtics are able to do there. But,
0: you know, I think it's going to be the Bucks or the Celtics and then the Warriors coming out of the, the West. I'm, I'm with you on the Warriors. Um, I, I think it's a Warriors-Suns Western Conference final, um, which would be a heck of a Western Conference final. I have no idea who comes out of that. And thing about celtics Bucks, I did not realize how important Marcus Smart has been to that team's development and that team's defense. And I think if he can come back today and be... Marcus Smart, that we saw before the injury, that's going to be huge. So, um,
1: yeah, I, I think the thing the Celtics need to, to shape up is they're taking too many threes. Yeah. And I know that the way that they, they play, and I know that's the way the NBA is right now, but I was listening to the radio a bit yesterday, and they, they brought up a, an interesting point. You know, in this series so far, it's only been two games, 46% of their shots have been three pointers. And that's a tough way to win a seven-game series. A majority of champions the last, like, six or seven years have shot around 40% of their shots from three. So the Celtics need to somehow figure out a way to develop an inside game or just be more productive with their, you know, mid-range game or their, you know, their post-game a bit. they, they got to be a little more aggressive, I think, in attacking the Milwaukee bigs. And I know that, you know, Lopez and Giannis present issues uh, in that case, but they've got to figure out a way to be a little bit more productive inside, maybe get to the line a little bit more. Shooting You know, 40 to 53 is a game. You're playing with fire over a seven-game series.
0: Yeah, that's not fun to deal with. Any other sports thoughts across any other uh, league here as we close up shop on this edition of Teeing It Up?
1: I'm um, not really Kentucky Derby today. Uh, yeah. I totally forgot that was happening until yesterday, but you know we got that going on tonight. There's um, some good some good basketball games this afternoon, so man, Not I can't really speak too much about hockey. I I don't really watch it, and I don't know enough about it to comment on it.
0: Uh, uh, have you picked your horse yet for the Kentucky Derby? I
1: have not. I I don't know if I'll even put anything on it. I i just don't know anything about horse racing and i think it's something like the last four or five races the favorites have won uh, and apparently it's supposed to be a really uh, crappy day down there uh rain and um and wind it's so gonna be a sloppy track so that, that definitely will affect things but i have no no idea which way it's going to yep
0: i hear you on that one um Sloppy tracks always make things messy. That's not a pun. That's just you know you can throw a lot out the window when you start getting messy tracks. But somebody, and who knows, we could have another disqualification like we had last year. So yeah, uh,
1: he's not there this year. Yep, but no Bob back. I was listening to a podcast like he was able to train all of his horses up until like five weeks ago. So yep. he technically still has horses running even though he's not going to be there, that we're trained by him over the course of the last year or so.
0: Very unique situation. Um, and uh, we shall see how it all plays out today. Uh, uh, 2.30 Eastern on NBC. You can see that Liverpool match against Tottenham today at 2.30 Eastern on USA Network. Danny uh, Flecka thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Shung.
1: Thanks, my man. Have a great rest
0: of the day. You got it. Same to you and same to all of you out there.